Support for this program comes from listeners like you. To find out more, visit us online at chipbrogdon.com. Revelation chapter 18, continuing with the series of teachings from Revelation. And I have titled this, Come Out of Her, My People. I'm taking that directly from verse 4 because it is a big part of this chapter. And um, so I hope you brought your Bibles. And let's go to Revelation chapter 18. I'm going to outline this chapter and divide it up as follows. First, we'll talk about the exodus of Babylon, which is the basis of coming out of her. So we'll talk about the exodus of Babylon. Second, we'll talk about the judgment of Babylon. Third, we'll talk about the destruction of Babylon. And as I, as I mentioned in my email, in the invitation uh, to come to this teaching, the fall of Babylon is, is pretty significant in the book of Revelation. It, it occupies, um, all of Revelation 17 is devoted to a description of Babylon. All of Revelation 18 is devoted to its destruction, all 24 verses. And, and that's a lot of words. It's a lot of scripture devoted to the topic of Babylon and to its destruction. Uh, so for that reason, it it occupies a significant part of our study, and it's important that we grasp the full significance of Babylon. So we'll also discuss interpretations, as usual, various interpretations of Babylon and what does it mean, what does God mean when he says, come out of her, my people. So we begin with the Exodus of Babylon in uh, Revelation 18, beginning in verse 1, it says, After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven." And God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and am no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Okay, so here we have the call out of, out of Babylon. Now, we're going to discuss both the literal interpretation of this chapter as well as the spiritual interpretation. Uh, And and I believe that it is both for reasons that we will discuss. But the the first thing that we need to make note of going into it is that it's not totally literal. But the language of this section is, to me at least, it's, it's very obviously symbolic. When it says that Babylon has become a dwelling place of demons, that alone is spiritual. A prison for every foul spirit, that is a spiritual reference. And a cage for every unclean and hated bird, well, that's symbolic as well. So demons, foul spirits, and unclean birds. 
All of this is figurative and symbolic language of the spiritual city of Babylon. Also, it says that the city is a harlot. Remember, it's, it is pictured as a harlot riding on top of a beast. We know that the beast is spiritual, uh, but it represents a, a political system. So in the same way, I'm not saying that, the, that Babylon is not literal. It, it certainly is literal, and, and it, I believe it does represent Jerusalem, as we will see. But as, as we have learned time and time again in the book of Revelation, just because something is and can be interpreted literally doesn't mean that it does not also have spiritual and prophetic significance. And because it has spiritual and prophetic significance does not indicate that it is not literal. But in fact, over and over again, we see that it is usually a combination of things. God uses literal things to teach us spiritual lessons and also to foreshadow prophetically things that will come to pass. Uh, so it, it's been my belief for many years, and I have written about this extensively in my book, The Irresistible Kingdom, that everything that happened to Jerusalem, to Judaism, to the nation of Israel is repeating itself and is going to happen again to the Christian church. So they failed to recognize the Messiah when he came, and for that, God says, I will take away, take the kingdom away from you and give it to another nation who will bring forth the fruits thereof. But it, how would you sum up that Judaism that Jesus confronted in the first century, the Judaism of Palestine? How would you characterize it? Well, you could say one way to characterize it would be to say that a religion about God became more important than a relationship with God to the extent that the religion based on God brought people to such a condition that Jesus said you are you are like whitewashed tombs you look good on the outside you claim to be disciples of Moses. You claim to be believers in God. You claim that Jerusalem is the city of, of God and that the Messiah will come and rule over the nations from Jerusalem. And yet they fail to recognize Christ Jesus himself. They fail to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And not only did they fail to recognize him, but they persecuted him and uh, eventually betrayed, condemned him to death, betrayed him to the Romans, and saw to it that he was crucified. So I would suggest to you that that, that was a very literal thing. No one would say that that was symbolic. That was literal, the, the life, death, resurrection of Christ and his rejection by Israel and by the Jewish people. That was very literal. But since these things are written to us as examples, I would suggest to you that everything that is in Scripture has a prophetic significance for us and a spiritual lesson for us. And so what we see happening in the Christian religion is not very different from what we saw happening in the Jewish religion of Jesus' day. The fact is that a religion about Jesus has eclipsed, overshadowed, led us away from the relationship with Jesus. And actually, this is not surprising because when you study the parables of Jesus, you find that all of this was foretold. The script, the uh, Spirit speaks expressly, Paul says, that in the last days, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we'll see today that Babylon represents, among other things, something that through sorcery has deceived the nations. And when we say nations, we need to understand what it means. It, it's not nations in a political sense. It's not nations in a geographic sense. 
When Scripture talks about nations, it talks it, it means the people. It's deceived all the people of the world. And so Babylon, by its sorcery, has deceived the people of this world, and I would say has deceived many of God's people as well, by the mere fact that God has to call his people to come out of her, it proves that she has, through sorcery and seduction, deceived not only the world, but deceived many of God's people. So there is a literal fulfillment of this, I believe, in Jerusalem, in, Ju in Judaism, in Israel of old. There's a literal fulfillment of this, but it also points to a spiritual as well as a prophetic foreshadowing of what I think is going to repeat itself here in the last days. So this is the exodus out of Babylon. The fact is God has some of his people still there in Babylon. God has some of his people in Babylon. And he calls them to come out of her. Now it's interesting that he does not call them to stay in Babylon and repair it. He doesn't call his people to stay in Babylon and reform it. He does not call his people to stay in Babylon and pray for revival or hold meetings or to say, you know, Babylon's not perfect, but this is the only thing that we have. And so we should stay here and be a light. And these are all excuses that I have heard over the years when people reject the idea that God has called his people to come out of the harlot church system or institutional Christianity or, or, or the religious system. Whatever nomenclature you use, whatever term you want to utilize to describe this Babylon of the end times, as we have said, it is a synthesis, a concophony, a, a bringing together all different kinds of religious spirits and systems into this one very powerful prophetic spiritual symbol that we have studied at length going all the way all the way back to Genesis and the Tower of Babel. So the interesting thing is and you understand why when Paul says to the Corinthians I'm afraid for you that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent that you also would be led astray from the simplicity of Christ, and then the Spirit says expressly that that will happen. Some will depart from the faith. We see it in the parables of Jesus with the leaven, that leavened the whole lump. And so by the time you come to the book of Revelation, that has already begun to take place, and you see uh, people that are being seduced by that woman Jezebel, for example, or the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So these are indications that the that the body of Christ the ecclesia is actually being infiltrated and being contaminated by people who claim to know Jesus claim to be believers in Jesus but they don't know who he is and they do not represent his will and his kingdom here on the earth a good portion of the letters of John are devoted to the idea that uh, they went out from us as if they were of us, but they were not of us. Um, so the truth of the matter is, God still has some of his people in Babylon. It would be incorrect to say that everyone who is joined to the church system is against God or, or doesn't love the Lord. And people will very often say, well, how how can there be anything wrong with this church or with this group of people? They just love the Lord. They just love Jesus with all their heart. But they're going to church and they're doing all these things that you're saying that they shouldn't do. Well, first of all, I'm not the one saying that they shouldn't do it. I'm simply saying what God is saying. I am repeating 
the warning that God gives to his people. And so it's interesting to me that God has to call his people to come out of her. And what's the warning? That if you don't, you're going to end up sharing in her sins and receiving of her plagues. Babylon is under judgment. So it's, it's I, I have no doubt that people can love Jesus with all their heart and be completely deceived, be completely seduced, because it is a very seductive thing. It's a very deceptive thing. And the fact is, many people, many of God's people, are trapped in that system. They can't imagine any kind of existence outside of church. Uh, their faith is based on church. Their spiritual growth is based on church. Their spiritual direction and guidance is based on church. I'm saying it's not based on the Lord. I'm saying that it's very similar to the Jew of the first century who had the temple, had the commandments, had the scribes and the Pharisees to interpret the law, and yet failed to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Now, God in his mercy calls us out, and in fact, he calls all of us out. That's what the word ecclesia means, the Greek word for church or the Greek word translated church, you understand there was no church in the first century, in the first 300 years. There was no church. And when Scripture refers to church, it uses, it is interpreting the word ecclesia. And ecclesia means a called out assembly. Ecclesia always refers to people. It doesn't refer to buildings. It doesn't refer to organizations. It doesn't refer to sanctuaries or steeples or clergy. All of these things are inventions of man. When Jesus says, I will build my church, my ecclesia is the word he's talking about, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, he's not talking about building buildings. He's talking about building people upon the foundation of of himself. He is not talking about a religion. He is talking about a relationship. And so it was William Tyndall upon which a lot of the King James Version is based, but William Tyndall tried to translate Ecclesia as assembly. And King James, when he commissioned his King James translation, King James Version of 1611, he was very specific in saying that he wanted the translation, the, the translators, to translate Ecclesia as church. He wanted to make the King James Version as institutional as possible. Why? So that he could reinforce the authority of the Church of England. We're trying to do the opposite. We're, we are trying to deauthorize and break down this false god of religiosity and institutionalism, and we are trying to emphasize that the Church of God, the Ecclesia, is a called-out assembly of people, a spiritual house of living stones, a called-out people. But when you use that word church today, or when you read that word church in your Bibles, most people, many people, they immediately equate the church that they attend or the church that they go to as part of the church that Jesus built, and it's not. And so this forms the basis of the deception and the sorcery. So ecclesia means called out assembly, but... The truth of the matter is that just because all of us are called out doesn't mean all of us have come out. It's the called out assembly, and God is calling them out here. Come out of her, my people. Come out of here of her. Come out of her, my people. I'm calling you out of Babylon. But he has called all of us out 
yet all have not come out, and so here they are, still in Babylon. Led astray from the simplicity of Christ, deceived by a religious system that takes the place of God in their life, that keeps them in a spiritual ghetto, that prevents them from growing and maturing in the full knowledge of Jesus. So there is judgment coming upon that. Now, this is nothing new. It has happened many times in Scripture, and that's why I say that all of these things are written to us as an example. God has called his people out of Sodom. He called his people out of Egypt. He called them out of Babylon after they were carried away in exile to Babylon. And later on, he called them out of Jerusalem. These were all literal commands to come out. And they all point to a spiritual reality. But the lesson is it was never a smooth process. Because God's people loved where they came from more than where he wanted to take them. So it was never a smooth process. It was always a fight. They had to physically drag Lot and his family out of Sodom. In the case of Egypt, God called them out, but it was very difficult for them to believe that Moses was truly going to lead them out. And they wanted to return to Egypt many times, so it was difficult. And then God called his people to come out of Babylon and go back and rebuild Jerusalem. But a majority of his people in Babylon stayed in Babylon. And that's what Revelation 18 is referring to. He called his people to come out. A remnant of people came out of Babylon, but the rest stayed in Babylon. Those that came out of Babylon rebuilt the temple, rebuilt Jerusalem and restored that religious system to the point that it failed to recognize the Lord Jesus when he came. And so there was another judgment on that city, and God called them again, Jesus warned them, to come out of Jerusalem because of its pending destruction. And so all of these things are literal fulfillments of God calling his people out. But the point is that it was, it was never a smooth process. It was always difficult. And what made it difficult? Not because of the enemies, but because they loved where they were more than they loved God and more than they loved and wanted to be in the place that he was calling them out to. They love where they came from more than where he wanted to take them. And I would tell you, spiritually speaking, and in a literal prophetic application to us today, this represents one of the biggest challenges of God's people that are trapped in the religious system. Now, it doesn't make any difference to me what the religious system calls itself. You say, is it Roman Catholicism? And the answer is yes. You say, is it Protestantism? And I say, the answer is yes. Well, what about all of these charismatic churches? The answer is yes. What about the Greek Orthodox churches? The answer is yes. All of these things represent distractions and hindrances from a relationship with Jesus. To be sure, there are some people in all of these churches, I'm sure you can find them, that they love God, or at least they say they love God with all their heart. They really love Jesus. They li really love the Word of God. And they are offended at the idea that they should come out of their religious system. Yet, we learn two things from Revelation 18. First, we learn that God has people in Babylon. And secondly, that God does not want them in Babylon. The third thing is, if they are not obedient to God, then they're going to be destroyed right along with Babylon. 
So for all the people who really love God with all of their heart and really love Jesus with all of their heart and love the Word of God, I've got a question for you. How long can you love God and refuse to obey the voice of God that says, Come out. Come out of her, my people. And these will be the very ones in the end of days that are not allowed into the kingdom of God. And they say, Lord, Lord, we taught, we prophesied in your name. In your name, we did many marvelous things. We built big churches and cathedrals. We raised lots of money for Christian causes. We had lots of Christian ministries and television and radio and everything else that we have done in your name. And he says, I don't know who you are. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I tell you to do? I told you to come out of her. You didn't come out of her. You shared in her sins. And now you're going to suffer the consequences. You will receive of her plagues. So this is a warning to you and to me and to all of God's people that may still be clinging to Babylon or maybe you've come out and you're like Lot's wife. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, remember Lot's wife? And what was the problem with Lot's wife? Well, Lot's wife, that she didn't want to leave Sodom. And even in the process of leaving Sodom, she turned around and looked. And in that turning back, in that looking back, she was destroyed. Because it revealed that Sodom had become an idol. The seduction of that city had become an idol. She was more concerned about what she was leaving behind than what God was calling her to. So he calls us out, but it doesn't mean that all have come out. Many are called, but few are chosen. All of us are called out, but God doesn't choose those who are disobedient to his call. So if he calls us out, we must also come out in order to be fully obedient to, to the Lord. So we come to the judgment of Babylon in verse 9. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise any more: merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel on the sea, or all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Well, this is very detailed, isn't it? Of all the things, all the riches and all the wealth that is going to be lost when Babylon is destroyed. 
Well, again, let's go back and look and take this step by step. First, remember that it is the beast that ultimately turns on Babylon and destroys her. So that's one reason why I think this fits more towards Jerusalem and not so much towards Rome, at least ancient Rome, because uh, the beast is part of that Roman Empire. So the beast doesn't turn on Rome and destroy Rome. But remember, it is the beast that ultimately turns on Babylon and destroys her. And also remember that it is God. We saw last chapter in chapter 17 that it is God who puts his purpose into their hearts so that they will fulfill his will by destroying her. God wants to destroy Babylon. Now li listen to what I'm telling you. God, God's will is that Babylon would be destroyed. And it's vengeance because it says that in her, it says she is drunk with the blood of the martyrs and the saints. And part of this rejoicing is that God has avenged his holy apostles and prophets, all who have been killed and persecuted by her. God has poured out his judgment upon this harlot, upon this city, upon Babylon. And so that's why he's warning his people, if you're with me, come out of her. But if you don't come out of her, then you're going to be part of this judgment. So Babylon is under judgment. But remember, it is God putting his purpose into their hearts so they will fulfill his will by destroying her. Now, I've said that this represents Jerusalem, and I believe it does. Clearly, this represents Jerusalem in a literal sense, and we have already seen previously, very early in our study of the book of Revelation, that what Jesus teaches in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21 parallels very nicely with what we see happening in the book of Revelation. There's war, there's famine, there's earthquakes and death, there's persecution, there's deception and falling away, and all of this precedes the return of Jesus. So there are some very clear indications and fulfillment in Scripture that indicates Jerusalem is the city that came under judgment that was destroyed. The challenge with applying all of this to the literal Jerusalem destroyed in A.D. 70 is, for me personally, why I don't accept the preterist position that this only refers to Jerusalem. Let's take that and let's assume that Revelation 18 absolutely refers to the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. In that case, how do you explain Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22? Because I don't see any of that being fulfilled after the fall of Jerusalem. I don't see all the dead standing before God being judged. I don't see the 1,000 years of Christ ruling and reigning. I don't see New Jerusalem being established. So the only way that you could that you could establish it is to spiritualize Revelation 19 through 22 through the end of the book. But if you take Revelation 18 literally, then why would you take Revelation 19 through 22 spiritually? What gives us the permission? to say that Revelation 18 refers to Jerusalem, but then all of the, of the promises and the restoration and the healing of the nations and the establishment of New Jerusalem that takes us from the destruction of Babylon all the way to the end of the, of the book of Revelation, what gives us the right to say that's spiritual, that's symbolically fulfilled? And so I, I can't accept a preterist position that says that this only refers to the destruction of Jerusalem and the actual return of Jesus, well, that's a spiritual fulfillment that's already happened. In other words, Jesus has already returned in his people and that we're already living in the millennium 
and that New Jerusalem is just a spiritual body of Christ uh, living in the earth today. Uh, there are several problems I have with that. One is that I don't see any scripture that indicates that we spiritualize the return of Jesus. It says that every eye will see him. It says he will return in the, in the same manner that we saw him go. We will see him return. And there's nothing in Scripture that indicates that anyone in the early ecclesia thought that the return of Jesus would be symbolic or prophetic or spiritual and not literal. So the reason preterists interpret it as spiritual is because that is the only way that their interpretation makes sense. But you see, I'm not interested in, in someone's interpretation being correct if it means that they have to twist things to make it work. I'm interested in what Scripture says and what, what is the best explanation. And if the return of Jesus is literal, then I have to look at Revelation 18 in one of two ways. First, that it does refer to the destruction of Jerusalem. But since we don't see the restoration of everything happening after that and the return of Jesus, then I have to conclude that, yes, this clearly represents Jerusalem in a literal sense because it does fulfill Matthew 24 and Luke 21, but this also has to represent something still to come. It also must represent some kind of an end-time judgment, an end-time failure of the one-world government and the one-world religion, the globalist movement. The, the, this, all of this is coming at the end of history. It's not something that we look back on and see being fulfilled completely 2,000 years ago. Instead, remember that... It was the dragon, the devil and Satan, who came up with this two-fold strategy to fight against the remnant of the seed of the woman, and it's the dragon who raises up the beast and the false prophet. And immediately after the destruction of Babylon, you have the return of Christ in Revelation 19, and you see the beast and the false prophet cast into the lake of fire. And in Revelation 20, you see the devil himself being bound and cast into the bottomless pit. Now, take a look at the world around you and just use some common sense. Does it look to you as though the devil has been bound at all? Would you expect to see less evil or more evil, less wickedness or more wickedness? if the devil was truly bound. And it says the purpose of him being bound is so that he can deceive the nations no more. So let me ask you a question. Look around at the nations. Look around at the people of this world. Do they seem more or less deceived to you now than 2,000 years ago? So all I'm saying is I don't see the return of Jesus. I don't see the false prophet or the beast being bound. I don't see the devil being bound. I don't see a great white throne judgment. And so all of these things indicate to me that the fall of Babylon, while it may have been literally fulfilled several times in Scripture, there is still yet a future fulfillment. And so these things to us are warnings. They are prophetic foreshadowings of something that is yet to be fulfilled. It's yet to happen. So what does it represent in our time? Well, I think it's going to represent the ultimate defeat, the ultimate failure of globalism, ecumenicalism, the one world government and the one world religion. And they have not teamed up together as of yet not in a global way. In some cases, you see the, the Holy Roman Empire. That's one world government, one world religion, or it's one government and one religion, politics and, and church and state coming together 
which is what Babylon represents, but that was never total. It was never the whole world. And what we have in the book of Revelation indicates a, a, a totalitary of government and religion, of church and state, politics and religion coming together. Because as I have said previously, people, politicians, will realize, if they have not already realized, that people are more fanatical over their religious beliefs than they are over their political ideology. And so you've got to unite people around something more than political ideology. You have to unite them in their religious belief. That's what Islam tries to do. Um, and I, I can't think of very many religions on the earth that would not want that to be the case. The um, question is, which religion is ultimately going to succeed at doing that? And I, I think in some ways you can look at the last 2,000 years and see that Christianity meets that definition. It was the beginning of Babylon when Rome made Christianity the state religion. That was the beginning. And you could say the beginning of the end. Because that's when Christianity became institutionalized, became part of the strategy of the dragon to corrupt and to uh, distort the pure testimony of Jesus, introducing the leaven into the pure lump. So we see this being revealed in the book of Revelation, but the point is that God already saw it, has already accounted for it, warns us of it in advance, gives us several examples in history so that we can see it, so that when we realize that we are in the place that we are not supposed to be, his sheep will hear his voice and will come out of her. So there's lots of spiritual nuance to Revelation 18 as well. I certainly believe it does apply to the destruction of Jerusalem. But in an even greater, more profound sense, I believe it applies to the religious system of our day and of the end time. And I realize that scripture refers to it as a city, but it also refers to the bride of Christ as a city. It's also interesting in verse 5, it says that her sins have reached to heaven, and, and it is the same reaching to heaven, the same expression. Her sins have reached to heaven. It's the same expression that we discovered back in the book of Genesis, when we referred to the, when we study the spiritual tower of Babel, that they wanted to reach a, build a city and build a tower reaching to heaven. So here we see that they're not building a physical tower, a, a, a literal city with a tower reaching to heaven, but her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. And just like God visited them and, and brought confusion and scattered them in the same way, he's going to bring judgment upon Babylon and overthrow and overcome Babylon in the end time. So we come to the destruction of Babylon in verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints, and of all 
who were slain on the earth. So this is the final and ultimate destruction of Babylon. And I could also point you back to history. And if you've never read about the fall of Jerusalem, you can probably do a Google search for Josephus. I've, I've got the works of Flavius Josephus, Jewish historian, and he devotes uh, many pages to the destruction of Jerusalem, to the events leading up to it, uh, to all the prophetic signs and symbols and, and warnings that indicated that the city would be destroyed, and how the Jews basically destroyed their own selves. And a lot of what Josephus has to say uh, really parallels with the words of Jesus and also the words of John here in the book of Revelation as we consider the destruction of Babylon. And it's a, it's a sad story. It's, it's a tragic story. But again, these things have a clear and, and literal fulfillment in Jesus' warnings. And, and particularly if we go over to Luke 21, um, it it's, becomes very evident that some 40 years before the destruction of Jerusalem, when the disciples were walking around and, and pointing out to him the, the beautiful stones of the temple and, and the, they were marveling in the religious system of their day, which was Judaism. And Jesus said, the things that you see, not one stone will be left upon another. It will all be thrown down. It will all be destroyed. And in Luke 21, Verses 20 through 24, he says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people." And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captives into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So that I think that has a very clear and literal fulfillment with the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. It's recognized and... Uh, and referenced by even uh, historians. So we have that as a literal fulfillment, no question about it. However, there are spiritual references as well in Revelation 18 to indicate that Jerusalem, in its rejection of Christ and its persecution of saints, is a prophetic symbol of a harlot church system that will do and has done and is doing the very same thing. And so if God would judge that system of Judaism and that temple, he would certainly judge the church system that deceives the world and leads even God's people away from the simplicity of Christ. So there are spiritual references here that indicate even if there is a literal fulfillment in the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, there was probably a prophetic foreshadowing of something else to come. And a spiritual symbol as well. One reference is that Babylon trades in the bodies and the souls of men, the bodies and souls of people. which is an apt description of what religion does. Also, it says that Babylon is guilty of making war against the apostles and the prophets of God and using sorcery to deceive the nations. It says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And it says, In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. 
And it says, by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. Remember, this was a picture of a harlot, a prostitute, riding on a beast, and she's drunk with the blood of saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So this is more than just, it certainly fits Jerusalem, but it fits something much larger, much greater, much more deadly and satanic than Jerusalem. It actually fits the church system that began in A.D. 300 when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. That grew into the Roman Catholic Church, which spawned the Protestant Reformation and multiplied thousands and thousands of churches and denominations around the world, perpetuating the same basic error that a religion about Jesus has become more important than a relationship with Jesus, and using sorcery to become rich. The church has deceived the nations. So as a final judgment, and I think this has some prophetic significance as well, it says in verse 23 that Babylon will have no light. And compare that to the New Jerusalem towards the end of the book of Revelation that says that the Lamb is the light thereof. It doesn't need a lamp. It doesn't need the light of the sun because the Lamb is the light. But here in Babylon there is no light. And why is there no light? The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. Well, the bridegroom we know is Jesus. The bride is the lamb, the lamb's wife, the body of Christ, the ecclesia. Those who are not only called out, but have come out and have been obedient to the voice of the Lord. And why aren't they in Babylon anymore? Because they have left and they are going to New Jerusalem. All of this is spiritual and prophetic, of course. But I think it's very significant that Babylon, as a final judgment, will have no light. They will no longer hear the voice of the bridegroom. See, he's been calling to them, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. But in the final judgment... They will not hear his voice. They will not see him, and they will not see the bride of Christ. So it's very sobering. But heaven is rejoicing. In the next chapter of Revelation 19, they are saying hallelujah and <laughs> praise the Lord and amen. They're excited and they are happy. The world is mourning. And presumably those who are still inside of Babylon are mourning at the destruction of Babylon because they love where they are more than they love where God wants to lead them. But in heaven and everyone dwelling in heaven in heaven, and everyone who has prepared themselves for the marriage supper of the Lamb, it is a time of great rejoicing. Remember, it is Babylon who has been killing the prophets, the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus is on Babylon's hands. Why would you be a part of that? And why would you support that? The only thing you can do is to argue that Babylon does not represent the church system today. And I think uh, I've given you enough evidence that you would have a hard time demonstrating that. But that's up to you. Of course, different people will interpret it differently depending upon their view of things, depending upon their biases, depending on the level of truth that they are able to handle. Jesus says, there are many things I want to say to you and many things I could teach you, but you can't handle it right now. But when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will lead you into all truth. He will take what is mine and will show it unto you. So those who have an ear... 
Those who have ears to hear will hear what the Spirit says, and they will make the proper connections, they will make the proper preparations, and they will be ready. And that's what we see in Revelation 19, that the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. How? She came out of Babylon. And so Babylon represents religion. New Jerusalem represents relationship. It's just as simple as that. Well, we've talked about different interpretations of this. Preterist interpretation, again, holds that Babylon is Jerusalem. Christ warned his people to come out before it was destroyed in A.D. 70, and that's what they did, and so Jerusalem was destroyed. But preterists have to then spiritualize the rest of the book of Revelation because that hasn't happened literally. And I think, so I think that's a weakness. I, I think that's true. Babylon does represent Jerusalem, but that is not all it represents. Well, then this the historicist interpretation that says Babylon is Rome. Rome fell, or Constantinople fell, center of, of Christian religion for some time. But again, I have to ask if Babylon is a literal city, whether it's Jerusalem or Rome or Constantinople. How do you explain everything that happens after the fall of Babylon? The beast and the false prophet and the dragon himself being bound. The great white throne judgment. And then the, the new Jerusalem and the healing of the nations. I don't see that happening. And as I've said over and over again, the challenge with the historicist interpretation is that the more history we live through, the more we have to change the historicist interpretation of the book of Revelation. It's a moving target. It's always changing and morphing depending upon historic uh, how history proceeds. The futurist interpretation, popularized by Christian books and movies of, of our time, generally agrees that Babylon represents something in the future. It could be a Jerusalem of the last days. Some think it could be New York City or some other large city. So even in that, no one is really in agreement. But religion is so good at seducing you. Uh, Babylon is so good at deceiving you that you even have Protestants pointing to the Roman Catholic Church and saying that's Babylon, but they don't even realize that they are, they are part of that church system. Even though they're not part of Catholicism, they were spawned from that. It's the religious mindset, the religious system that God is out to destroy, not a particular denomination, not a particular branch of churchianity. But the harlot church system involves all denominations, all religious structure and systems and anything that leads us away from the simplicity of Christ. And even, and I've said this time and again, I'm not defending the house church movement as well, because a lot of people who have come out of church, church has not come out of them. They've come out of Babylon, so they think, but Babylon has not come out of them. All they have done is they have changed when and how and where they meet, but they still meet around a religious spirit. And they think because they have come out of the church system that somehow they are, they are more spiritual, more enlightened, and that they have really come out of Babylon, but not necessarily so. To put so much emphasis on the meeting indicates that you haven't come out of Babylon. <laughs> It indicates that you still have a residue of Babylon. 
So when, I, when I'm talking about the harlot church system, I'm talking about the spirit of religion in all of its forms. And there's just as much deception and seduction and sorcery in the house church movement and these new apostolic movements, these new home group grassroots movements. It's a spiritual thing. And it manifests itself in many different ways. So the spiritual interpretation of the book of Revelation or of Revelation 18 in particular says that Babylon is a religious spirit manifesting at various times. Now in Jesus' day, Babylon was Judaism. But Christianity, once it was endorsed by the Roman Empire, once church and state became one, it rapidly eclipsed Judaism. And the Roman Catholic Church has killed and spilled more blood probably than Judaism ever did. Then you have Islam rising up, also a shedder of blood. So there are many other religions that lead people away from the simplicity of Christ, but no religion like the Christian religion does such a good job of presenting itself as coming forth from God and yet being against God. And that's what Antichrist means. Coming forth as God, yet opposed to God. And that's why it is so seductive, and that's why it has ensnared so many people and deceived so many people with its sorcery. Most Christians are not deceived by Islam. Most Christians are not deceived by Hinduism. <laughs> but many Christians, and sad to say even most Christians, are seduced by Christianity. Well, you think about it, and you just take a look around, and you'll see the truth of that. Well, my interpretation, as I've said, it's usually a mixture of all of these things. There's no single interpretation that I think is right 100% of the time. But all of them probably have a grain of truth. Well, what we have learned is that from the beginning, Babylon has represented a false religious system in rebellion against God. We saw that in the book of Genesis. We saw it in the book of Revelation. We saw it in the book of Daniel. A false religious system in rebellion against God. 666, the deification of man as God. Babylon is a city, probably is Jerusalem in AD 70, but as a symbol, as a prophetic foreshadowing, in my mind at least, it definitely represents the harlot church system. And that includes Roman Catholicism, Protestantism, Greek Orthodox, any other branch of Christianity. that's why God is calling a remnant of those who will worship God in spirit and in truth. And I would, I would say that you know, the blood that has been spilled by the Roman Catholic Church and all the blood that has been spilled in the name of Jesus and the Crusades, all the persecution of saints, I think that is sufficient all the deception and the sorcery and the, the wealth of the church, I think that is sufficient uh, historically to qualify it as the Babylon of Revelation 17 and 18. But I believe there is yet more deception to come. And I think it has to do with ecumenicalism. I think it has to do with Islam. I think it has to do with Judaism and Zionism and Chrislam and all of these other permutations of religion coming together. And I believe that there is yet more deception and more seduction to come. In my estimation, in my observation, the religious system gets worse and worse all the time. And so we have to be on our guard. We have to know whom we have believed. We cannot base our spiritual life and our spiritual health on a pastor, a preacher, 
a prophet, a pope, or a religious system. Instead, in these last days, Jesus stands at the door and knocks and says, If anyone will answer, open the door, I will come into him, and we will have fellowship together. Fellowship with the Lord himself. That is the basis of a relationship with Jesus. I don't care whether or not you go to church or where you go or what you call yourself or what you believe. My question is, do you know Jesus? And do you have a relationship with him that is based on the simplicity of friendship and fellowship with him? Or do you only have a religion that is based on church attendance, church doctrine, church belief, So that's something that you have to look at. It's something that we all have to look at and act either in obedience to the Lord or on some other basis, but that's between you and the Lord. I know I've made my decision, so praise the Lord. Well, that concludes Revelation 18 and uh, gives us plenty to think about until we get to Revelation 19 as we move on to something that is a lot more uh, positive and encouraging, and we're going to look at how, through the judgment of Babylon, God also judges the beast, the false prophet, the dragon, the devil who is ultimately behind all of these things, and begins the process of restoring heaven and earth and gathering together in one all things in Christ. And that's what makes all of this so exciting and so worthwhile to study and to see because it gives us hope and it gives us encouragement in these last days. If you'd like to get additional teachings, audio recordings, books, and other Christ-centered resources to help you grow spiritually, visit us online at chipbrogdon.com.